haven't met yet, I'm Rob Jacobson. I'm so glad you're here. And we've been in this series called The Upside of Down. And uh, we did that video. Or we actually uh, have, I have an acquaintance that's in San Diego. They did that video to describe the Bible verse that says, Blessed are those who hunger and wait to eat one marshmallow because they will be satisfied with two. Did you see the eyes in those kids? I mean, the desperation that was in those little faces of, oh, I know that if I can just hold out for three minutes, or if I can just hold out for five minutes, for a couple of those kids, it was 12 minutes that they had to wait, which is like an eternity for a four-year-old. But they were the ones who could see that one marshmallow would only bring half satisfaction, but two marshmallows. That would be total satisfaction. When was the last time that you were completely satisfied with your life or completely satisfied with an experience in your life? We all have these cravings that, we, that, we, that come up inside of us. This, this idea from the scriptures, the real Bible verse from Matthew 5, 6, that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, because they will be filled The word filled means their cravings will be satisfied. The things that they long for in their life will be experienced. As you think about your life and you think about the things that you seek after, the things you hunger for, where are those places where you find satisfaction? And what does that have to do with with righteousness? I mean, this this church was describing... um, a test that was actually done down the road from them at Stanford, Stanford University in 1970. They dubbed it the marshmallow test. You can Google it if you want to, Don't, not right now. But um, the researchers were trying to figure out why we crave certain things and what happens when we crave those things. And they found out that, that what this, this fun little thing called sugar does, inside of us. When we consume sugar, it like sends a party message to our brain that says, "Woo! that's awesome. It feels so good. It's actually got a technical term, but I like that. It's kind of this reward system that's inside of our brain. And, And it's similar to how our body processes addictive substances like alcohol, like nicotine. And if we overload on sugar, what it does is it spikes this chemical in our brain called dopamine, and it says, I like that feeling. I would like to have it again. And then it, when it comes down, it says, oh, I really, really want that feeling again. Please do it again soon. And they actually went back, because 1970, you know, their computers were like the size of this room. So they went back in 2011, and they found about half of their sample population and they did a brain imaging study on those kids that had the marshmallow study done in 1970. What they found was that those, those children that could wait the three or five or 12 minutes, there were actually different things going off in their brain than the ones who couldn't. So much so that they looked into it further and they found out that their prefrontal cortex was very active in the people who could wait. And, and their ventral striatum, I think, uh, striatum, um, this is the area that's linked to our addictions and our pleasures. 
these things were very, very different in these two groups of people, between the ones who could wait and the ones who couldn't wait. I would, I would like to say it as the ones who could see past the one marshmallow and see the satisfaction in two, and the ones who could only see two the one marshmallow. They had less addictive behaviors. They had a longer-range focus in life. And the study really alluded to the fact that these people who could wait for better, they experienced more satisfaction in their life. I think all of us would like to experience satisfaction in our life. And, and God actually wants us to experience satisfaction in our life. So if you ever have gone to church and people just don't seem very happy or don't seem like you should experience that, that's bad. And if we've ever done that, I'm sorry. See, see what we see in the scriptures with Jesus saying this, this idea of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that there are these cravings that can bring us satisfaction and there are these cravings that can leave us craving more. Do you remember the last time you had a craving and it left you with craving more? Um, my friend Olivia told me about this, this race in, in, actually the first one was in Charleston, and it was the first 0K race. You know, some of my friends run half marathons or marathons or 10Ks. Well, this was a 0K race. It was in um, April of 2013, and you could pick up your race packet, and you could get a t-shirt, you could get the bib number, and you had to pick it up between 6 and 7 o'clock. And then at 7 o'clock, though, they were going to shoot that gun off, and so everyone needed to come to the starting line to walk across the starting line, which was also the finish line, and then go over to the bar, and you got a free ticket for, or got a meal ticket, and then you could go celebrate your race. Get the t-shirt. I mean, get, get all the reward, none of the work. Except I wonder, as they're eating the barbecue ribs and the cornbread and the baked beans, if they're truly satisfied. And, and I, was, I was just in this crate. I have these cravings, just a few of them, um, and one of those cravings was, was cookies a couple weeks ago. It was the white, there was these white chocolate cookies that were still moist, because I knew my, we had a busy couple of weeks, so my wife wasn't baking, so, and, and the family was in the other room, so I have to sneak away from the great room, over through the kitchen, and I'm reaching into the back of the cupboard, and I find this package, and it's open, so I kind of stick my two fingers in, and I, I feel the, the moist, you know, the enough moistness to know that they're still fresh. And it's white chocolate, so it's like this utter surprise. And, and I kind of start eating them inside the cupboard because I don't want the <laughs> other people to know. We'll just keep this between us. And, um, and I'm eating it, and, and at first it's, it's chewy. The texture's good. The taste is a little off. And I slide the package out, and I realize that like two years ago, my wife kind of went gluten-free. Well, this particular package of cookies was gluten-free, dairy-free, fat-free, wannabe cookies. They were nothing like the cookies I was wanting, and 20 minutes later, I was still wanting cookies. Those were not cookies. But we do this all the time in our life, where we crave something, and it just comes up short. And yet Jesus says that the people who claim to be in his kingdom are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And not only are they in his kingdom, but they're satisfied. 
how and what does that look like? That's what we see in the scripture today. So you want to come over to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we'll be. If you need a Bible, you just raise your hand and someone will almost magically bring it over to you. They won't just appear, but they'll bring it over. You just put it up. If you want to look at it at your phone, that's okay. We don't judge you for doing it on your phone. Now, We've been in this series called The Upside of Down where we're looking at the kingdom values of Jesus, what his kingdom looks like, what his set of values are, how he intends to bring his kingdom, and the outcomes of his kingdom. And we've looked at this idea of meekness that is power under control. And so last week you got to practice the Superman or Wonder Woman pose that if you actually did this for two minutes, you would come out with more testosterone in a good way. You'd be stronger. You'd be more confident. And yet it wasn't an arrogance. We looked at this idea of being needy before God or being in poverty before God. And, and Jesus says that this one, this idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, this is the one that will bring the satisfaction. But inherent in accepting these kingdom values of Jesus is also this conscious choice to reject the values of the kingdom of this world. So what things do we hunger and thirst after that we think will bring us satisfaction, but actually are in opposing areas to Jesus' kingdom? So keep that in mind as we look through this idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness to really test and see. If we are going to look at this at any length, there's just one little verse in Matthew 5, 6, of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Then we've got to look further, and we don't have to look very far. If you just go back one chapter, you'll see that Jesus actually is the person to look at. He is the person to talk about this because he actually experienced this hunger and thirst in a deep, real, physical, and spiritual way. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is beginning his ministry, and it says that he was led into, by the Spirit into the wilderness. Chapter 4, verse 1. And he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting going without food, going without water, and being alone. And I I just love this part, kind of Captain Obvious. After 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, this idea of hunger and thirst, this isn't just about food. This is about appealing to our basic needs and desires. The things that we think will sustain us, the things that we think will satisfy us, and the things that we believe that will bring us life. I mean, Jesus had real physical desire here. Literally hungry. And this idea of turning stones into bread is something that he could actually do, something that would provide the security for him to be alive and to be sustained. He also had this deep, deep identity crisis, this status question of 
this tempter, Satan, the adversary of God, is questioning my identity as the Son of God. And how do I want to respond to that? Because if I do this, if I turn these stones into bread, that would tell him that I am the Son of God. That would remove the doubt that he is starting to poke and allude to in my life of who I am. Not only the security and the status, but he also has this deep, deep desire for righteousness. Righteousness being this word that means being right with God. Or if you want to say it like this, uh, living in harmony with God and with God's purposes. That's his deep longing. That's this idea that, that the things of my life would be aligned with God. The stuff in my life would be aligned with him. So this hunger is real, and yet it's deeper than just the physical. And, and this thirst, this idea of thirst, I mean, when our bodies actually thirst, they're made of 70% water. I don't know if you knew that, but I remember that from like sixth grade science. Since we're 70% water, when we get thirsty, it's our body telling us you're getting dehydrated, and if you get dehydrated, you're not going to be able to think clearly, you're not going to be able to focus. At some point, after three days, you're just probably going to start to die. So... So you're thirsty, so you can live. It's this pulling at us to think, if I do this, if I drink, I will be nourished. I will be replenished. That thing in my life that I so desperately am longing for will be fulfilled. Now it starts to go way, way, way beyond just food and just bread. I mean, think about the things of status, security, and stuff. Are these not the things in our life that we think about, that a lot of us focus on, and that a lot of us believe will provide the satisfaction in our life? I mean, this is what the kingdom of the world tells us. We should look after a good status. We should bring security to our life, protect the things that we value. And, and it, you know, the one who do- dies with the most toys wins. We, we hear phrases like that in this kingdom of the world, and we start to go, hmm, maybe those things will provide me with some sense of satisfaction. But I would say those are all stones into bread, but not living and eating the word of God. This, this phrase that Jesus says is actually from Deuteronomy chapter Eight. So if you're a person that likes to go all the way back, we can go all the way back because we've got to go all the way back further. Um, Deuteronomy is a commentary by, Math, uh, by Moses, who's been the leader of God's people from the time that they were in Egypt all the way to the edge of the promised land. In Deuteronomy, he's kind of giving a long speech um, that is reminding the people of who they've been and who God is calling them to be. And he says in Deuteronomy 8 that God humbled them and caused them to hunger, and, and then fed them with bread from heaven. It's called manna. They went, like, what is this? This flakes falling from the sky. And he says, it's this eternal type of food that will sustain you far beyond what you understand. And this bread would come and fall, or these flakes would come and fall, and they would gather it, and they had a certain amount that they needed to gather per person, and every time they ate it, they were filled, it says. And he's saying that God did that so that when you were fed, you would learn 
that we're not really living or supposed to live by bread alone, but we're supposed to live by every word that comes from God. So, so this reference that Jesus is talking about is actually referring to a story that's back in Exodus 16. And I'm, I'm jumping around because sometimes we have to go all the way back to see where we've been and where we got lost to then go forward. Have you ever been stuck in your life? In January, we're going to do this series about being, getting out of this place that we might call exile. And, and whenever God calls people out of exile, he calls them to confront their past, their deep past, and see who they were before they got very, very lost. Then he can bring them forward. If you're in a place where you are not satisfied, it might be God bringing to light these things that you're focused on that are really not satisfying. They are really not the eternal things of Jesus' kingdom. They're really not this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So we go back to look at where God's people were very, very lost and see if it relates to our life. It's in Exodus 16. Everything that Matthew is trying to do in chapter 4 and chapter 5 is trying to connect Jesus to Moses and Jesus to the people of Israel. God's people who've been in, in Egypt. Egypt's always a bad place in scripture. It's, Egypt is literally the narrow place because it's a desert with one big long river. And there's life at the river and there's desert or death everywhere else. It's the greatest civilization in the world at the time, in the ancient civilization, and the, and the one that ignores that there is a one true God. So it's this narrow place. And, and we see just how much that means when God's people come out of Egypt. When God rescues them and they've only known slavery. We were with some friends yesterday um, who we've known for 16 years. We, we were kind of young and dumb and not, not really married. And, and um, these were my wife's grad school friends, so they weren't dumb, but the guys were more dumb. And anyway, the point is that we w- we've been together a long time. We will see each other every year. And so in the last year, two, of the, two or three of the six of us got different jobs. And as they were describing the change and describing the refreshment, they were going, I couldn't even see all the problems in this one place. And it's not that, you know, I'm, I know that the grass is greener over here. It's not that there's not going to be problems over here. It's just that I couldn't see this because I'd been in it so long. But now that I'm in this place, I see just how, how challenging that place was. Have you ever been in that experience where you've been in something so long that you kind of forget to see, you forget what it's like to feel pain, or you start to wonder if, if people are supposed to be treated this way? This sometimes happens when people get married. Um, one family will, one person from a relationship will come into the relationship, and the other one will come from a different background, and this person grows up in this family where they kind of do things this way, and this person grows up where they do it a different way, and when they come together— one of them ends up saying like, well, your family's weird. They do it wrong. This is how we do it. And they haven't known any different. I, I see some people looking at each other. I'm sorry. We'll open up some counseling next week. <laughs> Going back to Exodus 16. The people have been in slaves in Egypt. 
that's all they've known. And they are freed by God to not just do whatever they want, freed to worship him, freed to be in relationship with him, and, and freed to live in harmony with God and be his people. And yet, they don't really know God. And I, and I would say they probably don't trust God. And so just a few weeks into this journey, they run out of food and there's no water because, let's face it, they're in a desert. And in Exodus 16, we see where this thing in Deuteronomy that Jesus is quoting comes from. They, they were in an oasis. That's good. There's lots of water in this oasis. There's, so they leave that oasis, though, and then they get to a place where there's bitter water, and so they're mad about that. They grumble about that. And then they get to this place a little further, and, and they're in a desert, I've seen. And, and in the 15th day of Exodus 16, verse 2, I think it's on the screen. In the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, 40, 45 days in. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. Remember where they're slaves? There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve us to death. I mean, these people literally uh, are, are like little kids who can't see past the first marshmallow. I mean, God is bringing them out. They've, they've not known this God, and he's trying to form them as his people. And they just, they just say, oh, we, we used to have all this food. All around us, we had enough. In the narrow place, what seems like what's a little, all of a sudden seems like a lot but it's really not. In the place of Egypt, when we think we have something, we really find out how small it is once we leave. But see, in their minds, they have tons of food. They have everything they can see. Somehow they're forgetting the slaves part. Somehow they're forgetting that we had to work all day and we never got a break. And when we asked Pharaoh for a break, he made it harder to work there. Somehow they're forgetting all of those things. And, and I'm pretty confident this, all these pots of meat and everything they wanted, this was not an all-you-can-eat buffet. They didn't have enough. It's just that in their minds, all they could see past was the one marshmallow. They didn't even know that two was a possibility. They wouldn't even let enter their mind. They couldn't even focus on that reality that God might want to be abundant in their life. But they distrusted him, and so their hunger and thirst causes them to only see this far. I think it's about security, I think it's about status, and I think it's about stuff. And God is trying to bring these people out to have them choose what to focus on. 
if they can choose to focus on their desire to live in harmony with God and with God's purposes, then they can have life, they can have satisfaction. But if they desire to focus on their security, focus on their status, and focus on their stuff, it just happens to be stones that can turn into bread. And what do we know about, about our hunger? Like, we can, we can eat, right? We can eat today and in about four hours or two hours or six hours, depending on our age and our metabolism, we'll be hungry again. And we could do it again, but we'll be hungry again. And we could do it again, but we'll be hungry again. And yet Jesus is alluding to this reality, this spiritual reality, that, that if God feeds the desires of eternity in us, this righteousness, that all of a sudden we'll be satisfied. It's not just some ancient story. There was this girl named Sarah. She was a really attractive young woman. She, she practiced the superwoman, wonder woman pose that we talked about last week before leaving her house. She was tall. She was well-dressed. She was a pretty driven lady. And she'd actually already been promoted after 18 months in her first career. And so she was kind of rising rising in the business world, and, and she kept in touch with some of her friends from college, um, and so they got to hear about her. She'd sometimes see them, but it seemed like there was a pretty predictable cycle with this girl, Sarah. And her friends could see it. She just couldn't see it. You know, she, she, first it was Bobby. I think it was Bobby. Maybe it was Bill. But he was a former Division One basketball player, so tall, handsome, ambitious, and, and this was the type of person that Sarah went for. I mean, he worked downtown, she worked pretty close to downtown, and so they were navigating their business relationships and, and their business world. They were navigating kind of their, their relational worlds, and the, the relationship starts slowly. But after a few months, it goes very quickly, and all of a sudden her friends realize, hey, this is what happened last time with, with I think, Bill. And, you know, we would see Sarah for a while, and then we wouldn't see Sarah for a long time because she was always with, you know, Bobby in this case. And then sometime down the line, it would, they would end it. Sometimes it was him. Sometimes it was her. And then she would go in her room and she would go back to her apartment and she'd be down for a few weeks. But then, you know, she'd come back out of her apartment or her room, depending on which stage of life it was. And she'd want to see these friends again. And they tried to be gracious to her. Like, you ditched us for three, three months, but, but we'll take you back. And, and then she would, that would work for a while. But then she'd get lonely. She'd start complaining again how she was alone, how she wanted to be with someone. Then she'd start dating again. Then it would start slow. Then it would go quick, and then it would end. And then she'd be devastated, which I get. But then she'd yell at God which I actually get to. But then she would say things like, why, why can't God just give me this desire? Why can't I just find someone to be with? If, if I was with this person, if I found this person, if God just gave me this person, then I'd be fine. Then I'd be satisfied. I can't be satisfied unless God gives me someone. You see the air? It's not wrong to, to want to be in relationship with people. It's not wrong to want to be in relationship with one person. The air is saying, this is the only way 
that I'll be satisfied. Then we're falling over here into this kingdom of the world. See, maybe this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is to hear God's voice when he says, I'm already with you. Not only am I already with you, I love you unconditionally. And I'll never leave you. And to say, oh, that's enough. That's enough. See, these ideas of status and security and stuff, according to Luke, who tells a story about a rich man who builds bigger barns, according to Luke, this is what people think about all the time as he's telling the story in Luke chapter 16. Coming forward to our future, because this stones into bread is our ancient past. This stones into bread of being slaves and coming out into the desert and and going to the promised land and coming up short. This is how our life is. This isn't the ancient story. This is what happens. It happens in relationships. It happens with our stuff. It happens with our with our friendships. And and he brings it, Jesus just brings it right up to present day when he says, He talks about in Luke 16 this these questions of life, of security of worry, and of where we put our focus. And somebody in the crowd interrupts him and says, well, wait, 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 Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance so I can get my share. It's actually not an idea of justice. It's not this idea that I want things to be right. It's I want to be able to know how much I have, and I want to be able to hang on to it and protect it. See, the older brother would get twice as much as the other brothers. So if there was two brothers, it was two-thirds, one-third. Now, why the little brother would want to take that half, that one-third, you know, actually points back to Egypt. Because sometimes when all we see is narrow, we think one-third is enough. One-third will bring my satisfaction. And if I can just secure it, if I can just hang on to it, then everything is going to be okay. But it's not. Because we're not hungering and thirsting after living in harmony with God. See, what, what the law wanted was, yeah, sure, that's can, that can be how it's divided, but they actually, the, the way that the Israelites were supposed to live was that those brothers would live in harmony with each other and would actually share the father's wealth together and would work alongside each other. That, that would be best, but they didn't want that. And so Jesus puts it back on them. You want me to divide the inheritance? Who made me a divider among you? What makes you think dividing and protecting will bring you life? It's essentially what he's saying. This is about possessing stuff. And he, he actually just says straight up, life isn't about what you possess. Which kingdom do you focus on? Where do you hunger and thirst after? living in harmony with God and his purposes or worrying about our security or status or stuff. I mean, he tells a story about a guy who we would all say is doing the right thing. He, here's someone who, who has an abundant crop, didn't do anything, just has this abundance and says, oh, what am I going to do? I've got to build bigger barns. I've got I've to store it. And I don't have enough place to store this crop. So I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. This word is like my total grain. 
And then I'll say to myself, or I'll say to my soul, you have plenty of grain stored up for many years, so take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul will be demanded of you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And that's how it will be for everyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness somehow points to being rich for God. And it, it, it has to do with what we focus on. Is it about protecting and enjoying our fortune? Which, by the way, isn't bad. It's about being responsible, right? That's what the world would say. You should get insurance for your car, You should trust God and still lock your house. Those things aren't wrong. And this is where we have to read carefully. Because when he says, tear down bigger barns to build bigger ones, tear down his barns to build bigger ones, he's already a rich man who already has multiple barns to store enough grain. But he wants to store all the grain. Now, if you're, if you're a student of Hebrew law, then you'll remember that they're not actually supposed to go to the edges of their field when they harvest it. They're supposed to leave the edges for the poor among them so they can come and gather so there won't be anyone in need. So he's taking it all. He wants it all. He thinks if I can just carve out my stuff for my space and I can just protect my crops... Then I'll have my barns, and then I'll get to enjoy my life. Anyone, anyone seeing that? Me, myself, and my. And we think it'll satisfy us. And it never does. Now, it's, it is not a sin to have much. It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to want to enjoy life. In fact, the scripture is very clear that we're to enjoy life. And some of us in the church need to know that. God wants us to have a good time. Just not ignore him. And if, you, if you're exploring or thinking about what does it mean to be with Jesus, I don't think I want to be with Jesus because he's never going to let me have fun. No, he's going to let you have fun. But this man is a fool because he doesn't leave any room for God. Not even on his radar. His total focus, what he was hungering and thirsting for, was about securing things for himself. And it'll never, will never be satisfied in that way. He's so focused on himself he realizes, or he forgets that his soul belongs to God. Who, who's good? Who wants to see us in relationship with him? Who will do things way back like in Deuteronomy, way back like God's ancient people, who will cause us to hunger and then feed us and then cause us to hunger and then feed us so that we'll trust him so that we'll start to hunger and thirst for what it means to be right with him. So that when we look for satisfaction, we go to those places where 
we hunger for him. Let's go all the way back to the video. If you were to have a videotape in your life, what would be your marshmallow? What would be the thing that's in front of you that you so desire, that you really can't take your eye off, and yet will leave you probably only half satisfied? It probably points to potentially a fear. For some of us, that might be the fear of being last, might be competitive, or the fear of being lost, like alone, or, or the fear of being exposed, or this worry that, this fear that God is not really going to provide for us. See, we have to confront and confess any attitude, any mindset that's going to pull us away from God and his purposes, because they're ultimately not going to lead us to life. And God wants us to be in a life-giving relationship with him. So as the band comes up, we're going to fast forward back to Jesus. Take a look at your marshmallow. And remember what Jesus says to the tempter, to the person who wants him to sell his life short. Because that tempter is going to want to sell your life short and my life short too. Jesus says, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, God's people got it wrong in the wilderness. They could never trust God fully. What, what Matthew is doing in chapter 4 is he's saying, hey, this guy, this Jesus, he gets right what God's people got wrong. He wins where they lost. He fulfills where they didn't. And he conquered Satan in the wilderness. And guess what? He went to the cross and he died for us. And he conquered Satan then. And that one day when the new heavens and new earth, when this kingdom that we're talking about with Jesus that we can kind of see in in shimmers, in shatters, in these little pockets, will one day be all we see because it's combined with heaven and heaven and earth come. He will crush the evil. He will crush the evil. Satan, and there will be no more half-satisfied sadness, tears, depression, and fears. We'll live in this joy and fulfillment of being with God. And it'll be amazing. But it's not on our strength. Please do not hear that we hunger and thirst in our own strength. We'll just end up weary. But God conquers, and if we trust Jesus... We can find that satisfaction. We can find that fulfillment. And so Jesus says, why don't you taste and see that the Lord is good? As you think about your marshmallow, I want to leave you with one story. It's a story of a lady named Nancy. And Nancy loved Jesus. And Nancy was was in a relationship with a guy named James, and James was not all that interested in Jesus. I mean, he sort of did religion on the side, and they'd been dating for a while, and finally she just spends a long, long night in prayer, and she says, I, I can't, I can't be with you. 
I, wanna, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but I can't because this huge part of my life is something that you reject. And, and all I'm asking for is for you to consider. All I'm asking for is you explore who Christ is. And they break up. Two months later, he comes racing back into her life and explains how he's found Christ. And they pray together, and they start building a life together, and they get married, and we have this opportunity, I have this opportunity, to to meet these people 20 years later and see the home that is filled with these eternal values and eternal rewards because she didn't settle. This is what true satisfaction starts to look like when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. What would that look like with your life? Because God wants to give it to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for taking us on a journey today. I pray that everyone made it through the ancient past to your people who failed and back to the present where Jesus conquers. God, I pray that we could believe, that we could hear and believe that when we hunger and thirst for being right with you, for living in harmony with you. You give us the eternal reward of of utter satisfaction, true satisfaction. But God, I pray that we'd confess where where we sell ourselves short. I pray that we'd confess where we buy the stones of bread thinking they'll fulfill us, God, and and we come up short. I pray that we would confess those, God, and we would depend on your spirit. We would believe in you, Jesus, to provide those things that we need because you can give them to us. You want to give them to us and because that's where life is found. Speak to us, God, about where we're hungry. Amen.